So today I'm talking to Will King, who's the founder and CEO of King of Shaves, one of the best known and best loved UK challenger brands. Will studied mechanical engineering, but then chose a career in marketing and advertising. But then when he was made redundant in the early 1990s, he decided to create a shaving oil to prevent the razor burn that he'd experienced. Well, the rest, as they say, is history, and British shaving brand King of Shaves was launched in 1993. The Alpha Gel shave gel revolutionised the look and feel of the shaving market, and I, for one, was converted to a whole new way of shaving. His company has continued to innovate and break the men's grooming mould with the launch of the Azor Razor in 2008, and Will famously and vocally took on global giant Gillette and the Fusion Pro Glide with the launch of the Azor 5 in 2011, which is no mean feat. More than just a shaving company, Will has continuously looked for new ways to connect with consumers, recently setting up both a shaving bond and a subscription service for his customers and he famously drives low-cost awareness raising campaigns through social media channels Facebook and Twitter. His seemingly tireless drive in innovation has led to a list of awards and accolades including Growing Business Company of the Year and Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Jonathan. Not so young now, I guess, <laughs> 20 years down the track. Well, you look very clean-shaven, so yeah, life is clearly doing uh, well for you. I read a quote of yours that said, when you are a challenger brand, you will be challenged. How do you face being challenged, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I mean, we live in very interesting, very fast-moving times. And um, this whole business of being a challenger brand and being the challenged brand is, you know, very intriguing for me. So, for example, I am... Um, Back in 2007, I got an iPhone, I jailbroke it so I can roam it on Vodafone over in the UK. I used it, everybody was amazed at it because it looked so different to um, existing push button phones. So Nokia, Nokia had a 62% market share worldwide of the mobile phone market then. And was clearly, you know, the, you know, the, the brand. It was an iconic mobile phone brand. And Apple was very much the challenger brand. And with it, within five years, Nokia has been blown up as a brand and a business, and it's completely failed to adapt to new technology and the speed of that new technology in such a way, simply in five years, you then look at Apple now, once the challenger brand, now the challenged brand, you might say challenged by whether it's Google, Android, Moto X, or whether it's HTC um, One, or you might say, of course, Samsung, um, and that speed of challenging and being challenged appears to me to be speeding up now. And with regard to King of Shades in the shaving space, of course, men shave once a day. So there is a speed there that you can't accelerate. I mean, I must look at my iPhone two or three hundred times a day. And I shave once. So the, the, the issues in being a challenger brand versus an iconic brand like Gillette, established over a hundred years ago, proclaiming it's the best a man can get with a range of products, the, the challenge for us is to bring into that product sector an innovation point and a product differentiation point that will allow us to upset that status quo. And I would always want to be, I think, the challenger brand and not the challenged brand. And I think it's very, very tough when you're at the top of the tree, you're at the top of Mount Everest, to get displaced. 
and especially in the world we live in now, where everybody knows everything instantly. Patent filings, you can file as, as soon as they're filed. Um, new brand names, trademark registrations, business ideas, who's getting funded for what and with how much money, who's doing the funding. That's completely changed, I think, the landscape that will allow challenger brands to really compete, you know, much more strongly against brands they wish to challenge. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's about innovation and it's about a great consumer product that people love to use and use the, what I call now, hashtag word of mouth on the Twitter to spread the word about, you know, the great innovations that are, uh, that are coming down the track. Mm. Well, so just talking about innovation, um, you've also been quoted as saying that we, we have to make things and make things happen rather than simply facilitating. Can you just go a little bit deeper into that and, and give us your, your, your definition of, of, of innovation? I think um, in the UK, we're in a very interesting um, place. And my, my degree was in mechanical engineering. And I wanted to be a yacht designer. And one day I'll design a yacht called Bat Yacht. Go to batyacht.com, you can see what it looks like. And um, 10 years ago, of course, the UK didn't make a whole lot of stuff because it was all made in China, cheap as chips. Now, 10 years down the track, as China's wealth and the growth of its middle class starts to explode, it's not so cheap to get stuff in China anymore because you can't feed the workers rice. They want to have a McDonald's and that costs a bit more. So you now have a rebasing of manufacturing away from Asia Pacific, certain areas, manufacturing areas, back into you know, the countries which often originate the ideas, the IP, the innovation, the clever stuff. So with regard to um, the importance of making things, the importance of innovation, if you don't have the fantastic idea for a great product which you believe can change people's lives and ideally be vertical in the manufacture of that, I not just sub it out to somebody to make on your behalf and take a license fee income, but to genuinely manufacture it. I think there's a huge importance there for the UK for companies to get out there, ideate, innovate, create, make happen great game-changing products that can be made in the UK and sold not just in the UK into the world. And when you look at somewhere like America, where Apple's bringing some of the manufacture back to um, the US, Google Glasses, I think, being manufactured in the US. Um, other companies are manufacturing more in the US because it's not so cost-efficient anymore to manufacture in Asia Pacific mm. as it once was. Mm. And that, I think, will be a challenge, I think, potentially for China, because China doesn't particularly ideate, innovate, and originate. It's mm. not that sort of culture and that for sure it doesn't have a branded culture yet, mm. which of course the West has got through the depth of its economic development over the last 150 years. Mm. So I think um, with the guy King of Shades, 95 or 98% of our product by material volume is made here. And then we aim to sell to the world and to the UK with you know, game-changing, disruptive, innovative IP. Mm. I mean, you, you, you always have struck me as being someone who's, you know, brimming with ideas and, uh, and clearly demonstrate the fact that, you know, you can bring innovation to market. Uh, I have been talking about in this series something that we call the, the great corporate innovation scandal, meaning that when we look at, say, bigger corporations, which are maybe shareholder-driven, short-term, 
return-driven, um, maybe layered structures. There, there are huge amounts of um, money spent on innovation that never sees the light of day. And, um, and of course, this is you know, both a waste of you know, creative thinking, but also huge resources which are put in place to innovate, but ironically don't. So um, I just, you know, just being the sort of the challenger that, that brings these things to market at a higher rate than mm -hmm. some of these, these corporations, what are your thoughts about this? Do, do you think in today's day and age that being a David is easier than being a Goliath? Yeah, I mean, we're involved in a, in a relationship with a big, one of those big companies you've just described. And the speed that they move at and what they spend their money on and how long it takes them to spend their money then what they spend their money on discussing and the meetings they have and the movement that they do, the snow will be going quicker. So when we're injected into a commercial partnership with a company like that, we've almost solved the problem in half an hour. We say, right, do this. And of course, they can't, because it then has to go through a process of discussion, meeting, getting all of the heads of the departments aligned. Is this what we should be doing? What's the IP position? Who's going to own the IP if this guy's is really clever? And then we just get bored. And then we don't do anything. And then they say, why aren't you doing anything? And we say, well, we've done it. You pay some money and we'll, we'll do it. Hmm. Oh, but we can't do that. We've got to do this. And, and when I look at that sort of behavior in big corporates, I find it astonishing that you know, it's like they almost survive only because of their momentum as a super tanker, you know, from innovation made in past years by smart, clever guys doing something. And um, of course, it's easier being a smaller fish because you can swim a bit faster to keep out the way of the big whale or shark that swims, you know, maybe a bit more, you know, steadily and, and not quite as fast as you can. A bit of finding Nemo versus the, um, the shark in that film. <laughs> But, but for sure, I, I, you know, I look at, for example, P&G, and it apparently needs an innovation platform, and it does what it does, and I think, well, I don't see it. I don't see it. The last innovation you did in shaving was to add a blade, seven years ago. Mm. And then three years ago, you made the blades thinner. Well done. Well done. Now, well, that's easy for me to say, because I'm a Goliath, David B. Goliath, sort of spunky challenger guy. But... If all we did when we launched our next generation Razor Hyperglide was to add another bloody blade, it would be absolutely ridiculous. Mm. So we've looked at what makes everything in a shave great mm. and what will make people want to shave, because we live in a world with stubble and beards and, and a bit of a caveman aesthetic right now, which is to do with the economic environment. Unlike you, Jonathan, clearly shaven, but uh, <laughs> our sound recordist is sporting a very good, nicely groomed beard. And, and there is an economic imperative there that people are the way they are until they're given something better to change their behaviour. And for us, you know, we're 20 years old now, and we're still a tiny little multi-million pound business. We're competing with a multi-billion dollar revenue business whose vested interest is to keep things exactly the same. Keep the same. Keep the market share above 82%. If it drops below 82%, we're in trouble because that's what happened to Nokia. There we are, 61%, Apple, yeah, what do they know? Boom, Nokia blows up. Yeah? So innovation and the speed at which you can bring innovation to the market is absolutely mission critical. Mm. So it does seem that, in fact, too much cash can actually stifle genuine and pro progressive creativity, yeah. really. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would say, you know, a famous saying, I think, um, the late day, Anita Roddick, was cash is the enemy of creativity. Mm. And absolutely it is. It absolutely is. I just see 
stupido money spent on stupido stuff. And you think, what's the point of that? That's just spending with your budget. So you get the budget next year, which of course I don't give my guys budgets. They've got nothing to spend and they've got to work out how to get one. And that's how I work my marketing. Mm. You know, start off with a zero marketing, but if you've got a genius idea, then leverage it out, amplify it and see if people get, you get traction with it. Mm. We've been talking um, a lot so far about um, the value of um, you know, intellectual property and patents and, and you know, bringing it through you know, physical product. Um, so clearly your background in, in engineering and, um, and the emphasis that you put on design is, 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 is key to the success of something like Azor. So you know, if you had to rank the importance of engineering, innovation and design versus other brand and product building skills, how would you, where would, what would your ranking be? I think that's um, quite difficult to answer. I mean, it's, the easiest thing is to, to layer up, let's just call it innovative features like a buzzing razor handle or a blue light or, you know, simple sorts of things that apparently make the shade better. The killer is to distill the, um, the product to a simplicity a form of function, which of course Johnny Ives done, you know, very well with with how Apple products behave from a UI UX perspective. In terms of the product and what's key, the engineering, the design, the innovation. I think you said. And what, what else was the uh, engineering, innovation, and design versus other brand yeah. and product building skills? It, it, it's look the product. The product is key. Mm. Is key in the world we live in now. It is all about the product. It is rate or slate on the web. If you're amazing, you get rated. And if you're rubbish, you get slated. And almost now, everything that, let's take, go back to the mobile phone sector again, launch. If Mashable don't rate it, and TechCrunch don't rate it, and Wired don't rate it, and CNET don't rate it, and the Scobalizer doesn't rate it, you're stuffed. And that is five single person opinions. That wasn't the case six years ago. Mm. You'd never know what they meant. You'd have to read the trade journals. Mm. Before now, it absolutely defines success. So, if you launch a product like the Facebook phone or the HTC phone with the Facebook interface, and they sell nothing of them, it you know that's probably cost I don't know, 10, 20 million, mm. and it lasts a month because it's been slated. So, the product is of course absolutely defining and key. Mm. And at King of Shows, we've had successes in that space with our oils. You mentioned our alpha gels. People have found out A's are pretty marmites for a number of reasons. A lot of that was to do with the cartridge tech we had access to then. That will change the next generation of hyperglide product. And that's all about patents and innovation. And then, of course, the design. Design aesthetic of it will stay similar. And then, of course, it's the branding and the surrounding external cons that you put out conventionally and asymmetrically mm. on the internet. Now it's interesting you were mentioning the, the you know the power of those you know the blogs and uh, and those forums which as you said five years ago you know you had to dig deep into the trade journals to find um, you know or place the the importance of, of those opinions but now as you said you know there are there are all sorts of different forms of uh, or ways of of, of um, you know connecting with people and 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 having people pass on good positive word of mouth about a, a, a great product and I think that is to the uh, to the advantage of the challenger brand these days you can do so much that yeah. you couldn't do before. I mean huge, I mean you only, you only have to look at you know the, 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 the legendary Dollar Shave Club viral video 
Um, the first one they put up, you know, six months before that sucked and got 300 views. They then got incubated by a Silicon Valley incubator called Science. Um, the guy was a stand-up actor. They did a very clever video. Um, but they seeded it into the tech space, into the Silicon Valley tech space, into mm. the national tech branch. There's a dot-com. Mm. It's a subscription model dot-com. Mm. Um, it sells cheap private label raisins. You can buy down dollar general for less than they sell them. But the way they did that, and therefore the love that people gave it, because it was so disruptively different to what you would do, as mm. a man can get on the TV screen, well mm. done. Um, it got a love. Mm. And that love blew the awareness of that out hugely mm. for, let's call it, a $20,000 all-in investment mm. versus what would be a $20 million conventional spend. Mm. So, of course, that's hugely to the advantage of the small guy trying to get big. Mm. So, just staying with this thing for a while, you, you're, you're definitely more than just a shaving company because the connection that, that, um, with you, to, you, know, you personally, Will, to the brand is, is very intimate. And, um, and that... that um, intrinsic intimacy that you have to the brand you're passing through to your consumers I know that and, and recently with your shaving bond and subscription service you created your own shaving community so so how important therefore um, do you think this direct dialogue that you are fostering in all sorts of different ways is with your consumers Look, I, I, I think Jonathan it's huge all right it's all about the club it's all about the community you know, it's, you know even going back to Dollar Shave competitor but it's, it's Good to talk about it in a way. It, they have a club of people mm. who are pushing back at paying $19 for a stupid O-Razors with Ferrer endorsing it. The enjoyment of that um, product and business is it, it being in, a part of it. And with King of Shades, we call our fans the King's Doms. Um, Tiger, my wife, came up with that one, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> and we want to bond with our customers. We want to have a, a direct dialogue with them. Therefore, I'm a, you know, a CEO on Twitter who um, replies to you know, praise or complaints, and then people are gobsmacked by that. Mm. Um, and of course, my, my DNA, I guess in the same way that Mr. Gillette's back in the day would run through his business, my business, because I'm still running it, runs through mine. But... I think 90% of people out there who buy King Shades, a lot of them think it's American. A lot of them have no idea the guy behind it came from those stocks. Does his tweets and what he does. I'm not a Richard Branson-esque forcing my personality into my product on every screen and second screen and third screen out there. So I like a certain amount of back from that and the anonymity. Mm. But within the sort of business, entrepreneur, commercial space, I'm quite well known for injecting a... DNA, Will's DNA into, into the brand and the business. But that um, is deliberate because we live in a, a world where people, I think, are very mistrustful of big companies and big corporates. They don't trust banks, they don't trust politicians, they don't trust the revenue to collect the tax from the big companies. And therefore, the more direct dialogue you can build with your end consumer, um, which you were never able to do pre-social networks, um, is the better for the loyalty of the brand and the people behind it. Mm. And of course, you also know what's good about the brand and what's bad about the brand because people tweet it out straight up. Mm. So I know what the issues with the Acer are. I know what some of the issues with our Acer 5 were. However, I also know that people love the brand and the products and we still grow, but maybe we could grow way faster if we develop a better product. And of course, that's why I've spent the last three or four years working on is bringing that King of Blades 
to market. Mm. So, well, you, you know, we've talked a lot about um, innovation and technology and, uh, and you know, connections. And, uh, and I suppose, really, this is where I um, kind of ask you to see what you can share with us about the, the future, because you've, you've, you've embraced the power of the digital world uh, right at the start, and, and you've evolved, as you said, and adapted as new things have come along, and you rolled with that very, very successfully. And, um, and, and clearly, um, it's, it's continuing to shape your business. So I was wondering if you could um, tell us what you think the you think the technological and digital innovations um, of the future could be that might shape you know your brand and the things around it. Um, for example, do you see three D printing as coming into kind of like you know your product world? Um, are there other things that you you want to share with us about it that can give us a tantalising glimpse of the future for King of Shapes? Yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned three D printing, and I. I read a book called The Makers, I think, three years ago, mm, which sort book. of predicted, great book, um, what's going to happen. And of course you can see that in the future, IKEA won't be selling ready-made furniture made in some factory somewhere else and shipped around the world and done it, or we printed it. You can see that, maybe not five years, maybe in ten years. Mm. And of course in my business, um, with the exception, I think, of the cartridge, which has to have the blades put into it, in a way that they're safe and they work and the tolerances in it are pretty micromillimetric. However, when you come to a handle, of course, you may be able to print out your own individually designed colored mm. Nike ID style um, razor handle that fits the cartridge that we supply. And that makes sense because it makes sense for us to um, license the, um, the printer, the ability to print to a template, or if somebody has their own idea, they can print to a template, but they still need to buy the cartridges. And that whole area of 3D printing um, is going to be huge, without a doubt. It, it's people still don't really understand it, mm. how it works, the materials aren't there yet, the 3D printers aren't there yet, but you know what, mobile phones once the size of a brick, and now it's sort of like you can have one in a Google Glass mm. that you have there. Mm. And then the um, you know the second part is of course the, the relentless march of um of technology. So I'm hoping to get a pair of Google Glass next um, week on Saturday from Venice Beach, um, as I selected as part of their Five Glass Explorer program. The use of that in terms of then getting across from my point of view what King of Shades is all about in the first person, rather than being filmed. Although I'm first person, of course, but being filmed by a camera. That then can further personalise what it is you're trying to communicate to your consumers, mm. and you can do it eyeball to eyeball. Mm. So from my eyeball to their phone, mm. and that again has never existed in that sort of personal way. Mm. Then the final area I think in, in, in what's going to come down the track is you know an explosive growth in crowdsourced funding mm. and peer-to-peer -peer lending and people bypassing banks. I've just given a big interview on this. It's one of my sort of like pet sort of projects to get people to understand how they can do what's called the hashtag old funding, like the shaving bond you called out. Mm. We've got a very clever idea coming up for our um, razor thing next year, which um, will come out, and it makes me laugh when I think about it. And um, <laughs> it's, it's so you've got to be embracing mm. the future because the future's coming towards you at eye line speed. Mm. And if you just sit there and look at the headlights, you're gone. You are a goner. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, you have to, uh, I think, really kind of recognise that in in today's day and age, the only consistent companion you've got is 
is really change. So you have to decide if you're going to hold the hand of change and lead it, or it's going to drag you screaming and kicking. And I think that's some of the dilemmas that it faces people both individually, as you set up in the beginning with the kind of the way the change nature of this world, but also down to corporations which just can't um, move at the pace that someone like you is. Well, we're sort of pretty much at the end now of this uh, podcast chat, and it's been a great one. I just want to just end up, um, you know, um, I was just asking you for our listeners who tend to be, um, I think, inspired by uh, people like yourselves who have challenged the status quo. Um, knowing what you know now through these last you know, 20 years being in business and you've amassed a lot of um, you know, ex- uh, experience and knowledge, what's the single uh, most important piece of advice you would give to somebody that might be considering uh, becoming a challenger brand in their own right? right. I, I think there are two parts. So this first, I'll, I'll... impossible is nothing, just do it. Right, take Adidas and Nike slogans, I quite like that. And possible is nothing, and you can just do it. Goodness me, if we're going up against Gillette, um, you know, you can have a go at doing whatever your business cycle mm. is. And then, secondly, don't get distracted. Mm. And I think 20 years I've seen a lot, done a lot, and my big failings as, as a CEO guy is when I've been distracted by peripheral issues or peripheral opportunities and taken away from focusing on the main game, the main mm. prize. Mm. Um, so whatever it is you're doing, don't spin more than one plate. Once you've got your plate spinning, mm. that is. You know, just focus relentlessly on that. And you only have to look at the success of Coca-Cola, still in the same typography, still in the same bottle, now sold in all the countries, able to do what it wants, but it just does cope the real thing with one product mm. and that product simplicity um keep focused on that mm. great well that's a fabulous way to wrap up the uh the uh, the interview thank you very much i know that um, that will probably be ranked very highly amongst all the ones we've done so far so will thank you very much for joining us today great. thanks very much pleasure